Hello. Good evening. Worship was, worship was good tonight. I enjoyed that a ton. Okay. Um, go to Galatians 3.23. That's where we're going to be tonight. Um, there's Bibles there in front of you. Yeah, there are. They're in the back of the seat. Uh, we'll have it up tonight, too. So if you, if you don't want to look at the actual book, it'll be right behind you. <clears throat> well, let's not waste any time, because I usually go long. So let's not waste any time with me telling you pointless stories. Okay, uh, we are in Galatians 3.23. I'm going to read 23 to 25. I'm not going to spend very long there at all. And then we're going to settle in uh, verse 26. 27, 28, and 29. So, here we go. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. I'm just going to keep going. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Okay, uh, this part of Galatians Basically what Paul is saying, let me just tell you, the book of Galatians, for the most part, uh, Paul is telling this church in Galatia uh, that some, some teachers have come in and have started teaching something incorrect about the nature of the gospel and the way the law, the Mosaic law of the Old Testament relates to Christ. Specifically that they needed to be circumcised for God to accept them. So instead of saying you can go from being a Greek to a Christian, they were saying, yeah, you can go from being a Greek to a Christian, but now you have to obey all of the Jewish laws, specifically circumcision. So, that's, that's Galatians as a whole. Um, and, and so what Paul is saying in this section that, that begins a little earlier, uh, and he sort of develops it a little more in chapter 4, is they are sons, the church, the people in it, the males and the females, this church in Galatia, they are sons, but you're acting like slaves, and in turn, you're feeling like slaves. I'm going to use that word sons a lot tonight, uh, and I may alternate between children, daughters, uh, but specifically, Galatians says sons for one reason, uh, because sons can inherit. Um, and in this time, daughters could not inherit anything and so the purpose he's saying your sons not only are you loved by the father but you will inherit all that the father has so if he said children it would lose that that really meaningful part so as i say sons i'm not being gender specific i'm including you females in there uh when i say that so uh i will alternate but keep in mind when i say sons i'm including everyone for the purpose of reminding you that this has to do with an inheritance uh, not just a position in the family, okay? Um, don't get caught up on that. So, so basically, the Galatians are experiencing the life of a slave when they should be experiencing uh, the life of sons. Their experience is jacked up 
because they believe wrongly. Um, and since they believe wrongly, their experience is wrong. Right? And so they're feeling like slaves when they should be feeling uh, like sons. Um, what had happened is they had given, they had given power to the Mosaic law when it should have no longer had power over them. They gave power, uh, in what verse 23 says, to a, to a guardian. And that guardian wasn't supposed to be there after Christ came, but they were trying to give power to it again. I think the same thing can go on with us. I think the exact same thing can go on with us. Um, that instead of feeling like sons, instead of feeling like daughters, instead of feeling like children of the king of the universe... We, we mostly walk around feeling in bondage and in slavery to things. Um, and not all the time, but sometimes. Our experience is that of slaves. Because, like the Galatians, we give power to things that should not have power over us. It may not be the law, probably not. But we give power to other things that should not have power over us. And so we end up having an experience like a slave in the kingdom when we are, in fact, sons and daughters of the king. Okay, so I want to flesh that out, and that's what happens in in verse 26 uh, through 29, like I said, where we're going to be settling down today. So, I'm going to read 26 through 29 again. Uh, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So let's stop there for a moment, uh, because we can sort of glide over that and act like that's not the most absurd thing sentence in the Bible. That's absurd. It's, cr- it's crazy. By faith, you are sons of God. That is absurd. Okay, just for a moment, we'll just think that God made everything in the known universe. He has controlled all of history up to this point, the rise and fall of every nation Uh, It was because of him that Alexander the Great takes over the whole world. It's because of him that Rome conquers the entire world. Everything that happens on this little blue ball uh, happened because of the sovereignty of this being. Okay, okay, that's that's crazy. That's that he's pretty powerful. Okay, so this little blue ball sits in a solar system, um, hundreds of thousands of of miles from this giant uh, flaming star. Okay. it's huge, and, and uh, 1.3 million Earths can fit in that star. 1.3 million Earths can fit. It's so big. It's, it's huge, okay? But they also say that in this universe that we live in, there are other stars that make that star look tiny. That uh, there are other stars that are 2,000 times as big as, as the sun in the middle of our solar system. So big that if you set it in our solar system, it would... Uh, reach the orbit of Saturn. And something like 2.6 billion Earths could fit in there. 10 million times brighter than our sun. 10 million times brighter than our sun. I don't even like to look at the sun with glasses. They used to tell me that if you did look at the sun, you go blind. I'd be like, that is dumb. And I'd look at the sun, I'm like, I'm not blind, but it, it does suck to do that. But I was right, so I felt good about myself. So, 10 million times brighter than that, okay? 2,000 times its size. Okay, so this God makes those things and speaks those into being. Okay, let's just consider for a moment the other end of the spectrum. Okay, that sun, that huge star, is made up of 
of hydrogen particles that are converting hydrogen to helium at, at this incredible rate that's like millions of atomic bombs going off at one time. And it's just contained in this. It doesn't hurt us. That's cool. Um, and then at, at the smallest level, we're learning that atoms are made up of these subatomic particles. These subatomic particles are like neutrinos and quarks and these little bitty particles that make up the parts of the atom. And then those things are made up of what they think maybe are called these strings. They just don't know. Okay, so th what they're thinking is th these giant stars at the base level are made up of these little, the, the atoms are made up of these little strings. And I'll, I'll just give you an idea how small these things are. Um, if you took a drop of water, you put it in my hand, just one drop of water, there are a trillion, trillion hydrogen molecules in that one drop trillion trillion okay if you take one of those if you take one of those hydrogen molecules and you made it the size of earth you still couldn't observe what it's the strings that it's made up of you would have to take that one single hydrogen molecule and expand it the size of the known universe to be able to observe one of those strings you'd have to make that one molecule the size of the universe to see the string and this is what this God uses the building blocks to make things so enormous we can't even talk about them. Because when you get to that level, we don't even understand how physics works at the, at the level of these massive stars. So, so you have this one level where we don't understand how physics works. And we have this other level where we don't understand how physics works at these levels. And then we sort of sit here in the middle and we just enjoy a fall afternoon and it's just sort of nice. And this God makes this, and he uses it, and he builds it that way. And then he governs it, and then he protects us from that. And so we just enjoy life here. And this God, that God is saying, by faith, you are my sons, my beloved children. That's absurd. That's crazy to think that. That's crazy. And so, and so the question, the question is, well, there's like several questions, actually. <laughs> what, what were we before we had faith? Were we not sons? So this is one of these things. This is saying, for one part, that we are not sons by virtue of us being made by God. We are sons by virtue of having faith in Christ. That's, that's, tough, to, that's tough to think about. That's tough to swallow. Before we had faith in Christ, before you had faith in Christ, um, you were not a son. You were uh, a part of a specific part of his creation that's gone in rebellion against him. And he, being so powerful, decided not to destroy us, but to redeem us. And he did so by sacrificing the most valuable thing in the universe, his own beloved son, for us. That's absurd. That's crazy. Okay, so instead of destroying us, he's like, no, no, I don't want to destroy you. I'd, I'd rather, rather kill my son for you. Okay, and all you got to do is have faith in that, and you become my son. Before you had faith in Christ, you were not a son. You were following the course of this world that is destined for the destruction of a just God. Because we are in active rebellion against what he wants to do in this universe. Okay, so that's one weird question. Uh, but then the bigger thing, I think that the thing that affects us and has, I guess, something to do with the introduction I told you about. Um, if we say we believe this, and it doesn't really affect us in any way, like emotionally, mentally, 
volitionally. It doesn't have any effect on our choices. It doesn't have any effect on the way we go about our life. It doesn't have any effect on what we do when we wake up. It doesn't have any effect on what we do when we go to bed. It doesn't affect how I, how I feel. It doesn't affect what I do. How, how is that? How does it, how does it, why is it that way? Because Christianity is an experiential, it's experiential, organic expression of believing truth. So we have on one side and we have on the other side, we have the truths that need to be believed. And then as we believe these truths, as this passage says, our actual reality changes. We believe the right truths and we experience something wholly different, something genuinely Christian, something genuinely different than the rest of the way this world is functioning. So why, on most days, uh, finding out that I'm, I'm the son of the, the king of the universe, of the maker of all things, why does it have such little effect on me? Why does it have such little effect on me? Um, what's, what's pulling against me? What's pulling me away? Because there are some times when I feel that way. There's sometimes when I'm overcome by the fact that I've been accepted by God and been redeemed by his son. Why is it so hard to stay in that place and rest in that place and operate from that place? That's, it's weird to think about, but why is that? Um, and, and like I said earlier, we've, we, we've given power to things about our identity. We've given power to things about our identity We've given power to insecurity, we've given power to guilt, and we've given power to shame that should have no power over us. And so we don't, I don't know, we don't often think about that or really talk about that. The degree of power we give to some of these negative things that we don't like in ourselves, some of these insecurities, we give a ton of power into trying to cover those up. And this, this guilt and the shame, we... we spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of striving after covering those things up. And so what happens, um, we get a kink in our belief system. We get a kink in our belief. So we know these things about God. And so there's that whole thing about, oh, it's head knowledge and heart knowledge. Well, it's really hard to open up my heart and be like, okay, there we go. Life's great now. I've transferred it to my heart and everything's good and going right. Yeah, that does, it's, it may be true, but it's completely unhelpful. It really is. Um, what? What's the problem? Like, how is it that we know these things, but we don't operate in them, we don't rest in them, they don't give us any, any comfort from the love of God, we don't have any satisfaction in Him, we're, we're constantly operating, we're constantly striving out of a different place that is not rest and peace and joy, uh, like, like Scripture says we ought to operate out of, we're operating out of this other place that's striving and it's trying to fix things, it's trying to be something we're not, it's trying to cover our identity, it's trying to take our insecurities and act like they're not there, all, all of those things. Um, so I think many of us, many of us at some deep level that we only talk about with one or two people or maybe nobody, um, we're convinced that we're unworthy. We're convinced that we're unable to do anything of value. value. We're, we're, we're convinced that we are not valuable. We're convinced that we're unsatisfied with what we have. All those things. We're, I mean, like, how much, how much power do we give uh, these insecurities about the way we look? It, it, it's e- like, I even try to act like it doesn't bother me, but it does. Like, I have insecurities about the way that I look that govern what I do in a specific day. 
how much time I put into working out, how much time I don't put into working out. You know what I mean? Like, we put a ton of time and we give a ton of power to these insecurities about the way that we look, about who we are, about how much we know compared to other people, about how many guys are interested in us compared to our friend, how many girls are interested in us compared to our other friend. Like, a lot of us are defined by our last failure. We're defined by our last rejection. And it has, it has real power over what we think about ourselves, over what we think about what we can become, about who we are in light of God, about what God requires of us even. Like, there's, all, there's so much power that we give to those things. And we really think about how much power we give those things. And so by transferring power, we actually transfer what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about our identity. When we transfer what we believe about our identity, we put a kink in our relationship to God. We put a kink in our, in our Christian experience. We put a kink in the life that God has for us. It's like a life-robbing kink in that all of our time and devotion and energy is spent covering up. So, and so the thing is, is if we're good at covering those things up, we get really prideful. <laughs> we're like, yeah, I do look good. I'll go to the beach. I'll just walk around everywhere with my shirt off. I'm feeling great. We start feeling a little prideful. Or like, I know more than everyone else in this room, I'm the most brilliant person alive. All of you are idiots. You know, like, you can start to feel like just a prideful jerk. But the thing is, is we're so, we're so weird that we can entertain insecurity and pride at exactly the same time. Uh, like me, for instance, right? So uh, when I was young, I felt uh, insecure. I felt unaccepted by people. I felt like most people weren't going to like me. Um, and then I noticed that I could feel valuable if I knew more than other people. And so I, sciences came easy. I enjoyed sciences. I enjoyed history. And so all, like, gaining knowledge just was like, yeah, okay, put that in there. When people ask questions and I know the answer, they'll think I'm valuable, right? But I was always very insecure about the way that I looked, and I was very insecure about the way I thought girls perceived me. And I always had this best friend since the time I was, like, literally before I was one. We were in daycare together. We're still very close. But all the girls liked him all the time. It's frustrating, Right? So I, I just grew in these insecurities about, because it was always him. You'd see a girl come run up to me with a smile, and they're like, hey, tell Chris I like him. I'm like, oh, seriously? <laughs> Every time. So it's like, what, so what sort of developed is to feel valuable or to feel accepted, like if I was in a classroom or just in a random room, if, if a guy walked in that I perceived as um, threatening, okay, he's maybe smooth, I know he looks a little, you see all the girls like, oh, that guy, you know what I mean? And I'd be like, I had to do everything I could to convince myself that he was an idiot. That's the only way I could place myself above him and be like, ha-ha, you're probably stupid. <laughs> and I got a little comfort out of that somehow. I may be ugly, but you're an idiot. You know, like, there was some sort of comfort. <laughs> That's sick. I'm sorry. <laughs> but there was this comfort in there that was like, yeah, you're dumb. Um, and so, at the same time, I'm trying to cover these insecurities about how much I know. I'm, my pride's swelling up, and then I'm dealing with this other insecurity about how I look. And so, I'm entertaining, like, 
pride and insecurity at the same time? How dumb is that? That's so weird. I think we do that constantly. Everyone that we feel threatened by, we have to leg up on them. Everyone that we don't feel threatened by, we have to sort of, I'm insecure. You know what I mean? So we're either operating out of this pride or this insecurity, and it's all these really futile attempts, these really futile attempts to to cover what's robbing us of life, to fix our identity, and to be everything that we, we, we want to be or feel like we should be, or to feel accepted, or to feel loved, or to feel valuable. And so all that is just sort of it's sick, but it's all inside of us working. Um, so, so what's the answer? What's the answer? Though I think we, we get an idea of what that is in the next verse. Um, so I'm just going to start it. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Some of your translations say have been clothed in Christ. And I think that's a much more beautiful explanation of that word. You haven't just put on Christ, but you've been clothed in Christ. And so what is that? What is he talking about? As many of you as were baptized. And so that, that, that word also, as many of you, is, means as much of you or as all of you who have been baptized into Christ, you've been baptized into Christianity, you have put on Christ, you have been clothed in Christ. What does that really mean? Like, what is the point of that being clothed in Christ? I think this is a beautiful idea. Uh, consider what happened in the garden. In the garden, when life was perfect and man and woman were perfect, we get one sentence that explains what that perfection was like. We get one sentence that explains that experience to us. That one sentence is, they were naked and they were unashamed. They were naked and they were unashamed. That's such a weird way to explain perfection. Just odd. They were naked and they were unashamed. They were completely open, completely vulnerable. Everything was on the table and there was no shame involved. It was like, here I am. There you go. I'm not going to cover anything. That was perfection. Sin enters the world. Then there's one sentence that explains the experience that happened after that. That one sentence is, they saw that they were naked. And they tried to sew fig leaves together to cover themselves. Weird. So the explanation, the first explanation we get of the experience of sin, the experience of brokenness, is shame about nakedness. Weird. That is weird. They could have said something else. But but they didn't. So there was, for the first time, a need to cover ourselves. There was, for the first time, a need to to hide our, our identity from the people closest to us. And it says we do a really bad job of that. We try to do it with leaves. So it's saying that we were trying to cover who we really are because we felt shame about it. We tried to cover who we are and we did it with leaves, basically. So, what happens? God pursues his people. He goes and he gets Adam and Eve. And he's like, those leaves aren't working, bro. Uh, And he kills an animal. And he clothes them in the animal skin. The first sacrifice. This is a picture of This is a picture of Christ. This is a greater picture of Christ. 
a sacrifice who will clothe the people of God. And so what does that mean? We've been clothed in Christ. At the cross, when you put faith in Christ, you weren't just washed from your sin and then left there. You weren't just washed. You didn't just lose your sins. Something else happened. Theologically, they say you were imputed righteousness. You were given perfection. You were clothed in perfection so that the Father sees you and sees His Son. So that the Father sees you and doesn't just see, oh, they're not sinful anymore, but sees perfection. You are clothed in the robes of the kingdom. And you are no longer what you were. You're not just cleaned up, but you're clothed. You're made righteous. You're made perfect in the eyes of the most powerful being in the universe. And he says, because you're wearing those robes, you are my son. and I love you. And you are acceptable. And you are clean in my sight. It's something way more than he died for my sins. I'll get to go to heaven. It's something way deeper and way more beautiful than that. I have been made the son. You have been made a son. A daughter of the king of the universe. So it it means we don't have to seek acceptance by our looks because we've been accepted because of Christ. It means I don't have to strive and strive to prove to you that I'm smart or strive and strive to prove to you anything about myself because I've been accepted by the King. And so all the striving dies when I believe that I am a son of the King. There is power in the blood. There is really power in the blood of Christ. There is power that changes your fundamental state. It changes fundamentally who you are. That's what he says in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This isn't specifically about unity. This is specifically about your identity. At the fundamental level, you are now a different person. You are now different at the identity level. So, It's deeper than your nationality, it's deeper than your social status, and it's deeper even than your gender. And so we we believe and we become the sons of the king. Or we, we don't believe and we give power to covering up our insecurities and we give power to covering up our fear and our guilt and our shame and to constantly try to sew these leaves together. So, no longer Jew, no longer Greek, no longer American. Fundamentally, you are a son, a daughter of God. More fundamental than your nationality. No longer rich, no longer poor, no longer slave, no longer free. No longer any of those social statuses, but a son, a daughter of God. Even more fundamental than gender, no longer male, no longer female. What do you use to identify yourself perhaps more than anything? Your gender. And he says this is, a, this is a deeper fundamental change than your gender. Neither male nor female, but sons and daughters of God. This is crazy. This is absurdly ridiculous. 
and extremely beautiful. And it is predicated on our belief to give power to that or to give power to the fig leaves. I think this even has implications for something that's huge right now. Not even your gender, but the gender you're attracted to. This is fundamental. No longer gay, no longer straight. Son and daughter of God. It is that fundamental. This is the fundamental identity of you who have been baptized into Christ. That is ridiculous. And so that truth will affect you, has more weight on your life than anything else about you. As long as you give it power to do so. As long as you take it and are clothed in it and stop striving after all the things we strive after. So I will very easily make how you accept my preaching my identity. If it's good, I'm good. If it's bad, life sucks for a week and then I get another try. Unless I've got two weeks off. And then I suck for two weeks. And I think, I think if you're honest, there are places that you are enslaved to. There are places that you have given power to. And there are places in your life where your life with God, your experience is being robbed because you're not really believing that you're a son of God. When I believe that I'm supposed to be a preacher, my identity is wrapped up in that. When I believe that my fundamental identity is to be a husband, when I do good or bad at that, it either crushes me or lifts me up. So I'm either insecure or prideful, whichever way it goes. It's like if I got a good week of preaching, hey, I'm the prideful jerk. If I'm doing good at school and I make an awesome grade on my paper, I'm a prideful jerk. And all the rest of you idiots in my class can shut up when you're talking to me. Like, it's like, whatever it is, whatever it is, that you're enslaved to, whatever it is, you will continue to be enslaved by it as you continue to give power to cover it up, as you rest in the belief, as you rest in the fact that by believing you are a son of God, you are immediately changed from that. And so believing is a battle. It's a constant battle. It's a daily battle. This is this is why we have quiet times. Not because God likes it when we read a Bible. It's because there is fundamental truths about our nature and God's love towards us that we need to constantly be reminding ourselves of because everything else in society says you're unsatisfied. It says you're not pretty enough. It says you're not smart enough. It says you don't have enough money. It says you don't have enough money to be happy. It says you're never going to find the right person, so get on this dating website. Like, there are so many, like daily you are bombarded with all of this news that you suck. If you just buy this, you won't suck anymore. And we're constantly like, oh my gosh, it's right. And just giving power to this. Is there, is there rest in your identity? Is there rest in intimacy with your father? Or is your life striving? Is it trying? Is it worry? 
is it anxiety? If it is one and not the other, there is a kink in your belief. And it is in direct relation to who you are and who God is. Some of you are striving, anxious, fearful, because you've never believed in these things about Christ. And that will be there until you do. And I've already said these ideas are absurd. So don't think I just expect you to be like, oh, okay. But that doesn't make them any less true. And it doesn't make them any less powerful. So, that's, that's the question. Is your, is your life one of anxiety right now? Is your life one of worry? Is your life one of striving to cover who you really are? Or are you free and able and restful enough to say, no, here I am, son. What of it? Like, are you, are you there? It's a daily battle believing. It really is. That your fundamental identity is predicated on that. And so, I think there's a story in the Bible that everybody knows that really ties this together beautifully. And this is where I want you to think about, are you, are you in this place or are you not in this place? Because if you're not in this place, there's only one thing that gets you in this place. And I'm not lying. I've tried everything, for real. I really have. There's that story of the prodigal son. There's that story of very wealthy, powerful guy who's got a son who comes up to him and he's like, hey, you know all that stuff that I get when you die? I want it right now. All that stuff that you get, or all that stuff that I get when you die, go ahead and give it to me now and I'm out. So the dad's like, okay. I would have murdered him, but the guy says, okay. Gives him everything. It says he goes into the far country. It says he squanders it on Wasteful living, my guess, partying, prostitutes, whatever. Gets a ton of friends because he's got cash. And life is good. Life is good until it all runs out. And then he finds himself cleaning pigsties. It's a terrible experience. He finds himself cleaning out pigsties. And he finds himself hungry for what the pigs eat. There's so much in there. I don't even have to explain it. What do you find yourself hungry for? Are you constantly hungering after the things of this world? Are you constantly hungering after all these things that you feel like are going to satisfy and they're going to fix? All those ridiculous commercials that are just always flying at you or magazines or whatever it is that tells you you're not who you are and that your life sucks. He finds himself hungry for that. And then he realizes, if I go back to my dad, I could at least be a slave. And at least I eat good. He goes back, and it's like his dad has been watching for him the whole time, right? It's like his dad has been on the porch watching for him the whole time. And he sees him coming towards the house. And this is unheard of in this society. that he, you, you never saw a man's calves. You never saw, never saw a man's calves. But it says he hikes up his garment, and he runs to his son. You don't see men running in this time either especially in Judea. And it says he runs to his son. And then what does it say? Before he can say anything, he wraps him up in the robes 
he wraps him up in the robes of his household. And he said, my son is home. He puts the ring on his finger. And he throws a party for him. That's, that's love. That is what the father is saying. I have done for you and I want to do for you. He wraps him up in his robes. And he's like, come inside. My son was lost, but now he's found. I have to tell you, that's what the father feels about you. The father is not worried about what you will become. The father is not worried about what you will do with your life after you get out of college. The father is not worried about making you into this great person so that you can change the world. The father loves you in the way that that father saw his son and ran and grabbed him. That is what the father feels about you. And there is no proper motivation for Christian living that does not come from being loved by the Father. Everything else is striving. Everything else is chasing the wind. Everything else is trying to sew fig fig leaves together and cover our little naked bodies. There is nothing more beautiful than that. And so I'm asking you, that is an absurd, ridiculous, ridiculous idea. And if it doesn't, You've been in church your whole life and it, it just doesn't do anything to you ever. There's a kink and it's got to be worked out. It's got to be worked out. Else you will be constantly robbed of the life that God has for you. And you'll constantly give power and you'll live the life of a slave when you're promised the life of a son. 